0: Hello, and welcome to Dungeons & Drama Nerds. My name is Percy, and today I'm here with some special guests from our actual play campaigns. Uh, Inspired by Lancer's focus on mechs and mech stories, we're going to talk about the relationship between science fiction stories, bodies, and gender, and the way that we can explore that relationship in tabletop role-playing games. But first, let's introduce our guests, starting with Tristan.
1: Hi, I'm Tristan Willis. Uh, My pronouns are they, them, theirs, Um, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about big mechanical voice
2: <laughs> cool CJ <laughs> um hi i'm CJ Linton my pronouns are he him also very excited to be here
0: um so i think a good place to start this conversation is to define for ourselves like what how would you define a mech story what are we calling a mech i don't know if either of you have a burning answer to that question
1: um o- only so much as i want to- <laughs> I want to reference that Ratatouille joke that was made <laughs> <laughs> and the idea that it's a smaller being piloting a bigger body. So is Ratatouille um, the story about the mouse on top of the guy's head? Uh, a mech story. Um,
0: Starting with some really hot takes. <laughs>
1: yes.
2: well, I'm, I'm thinking of it as like one of those alignment chart memes where there's like the lawful good mech that maybe you would say it is a robot piloted by a human and then over in like the chaotic evil column you're like maybe a Roomba with some dust in it is a mech um I don't know that is probably not that that probably is more toward the center of the chart I feel like we can get away from mechanics entirely we can get, yeah we can we can get more chaotic with it yeah I think. by the end of this episode we'll have come up with whatever the quadrant of Chaotic Evil is for that particular alignment chart. I mean, I do think the mech part is sort of important to mech stories. So like my boring answer is a mech story is a story where there are mechs and they are in some way important to the character journeys or conflict or whatever the objective of the story is. Or if not story game song like that sort of thing
0: yeah that tracks to me yeah and I think like the core fundamental idea at the heart of like what we think of as mechs is probably some kind of like robotic or mechanical body that is piloted by a sentient humanoid person type thing although I think you could like I'm certain there are mech stories with like animals in them that are piloting mechs or things like that
1: Oh, I know there is one. Amazing. It's your Lancer campaign. <laughs> oh, that's correct. Oh my God, you're correct.
0: Um, CJ, for, uh, for context, one of the... I think I told you about this, actually. One of the characters in our Lancer campaign is um, a cat whose mind is linked to 17,999 other cats' minds. You did tell me this. Who pilots, That's incredible. Who pilots a human
2: mech that pilots its own mech <laughs> um i love that that yes. is quite the it's fun it's so layering. much
0: but it's so good um but anyway yeah so we could yeah i think like the core idea at the heart of like the idea of a mech is some kind of being who is piloting a larger mechanical being or thing
2: i think you can have mechs in a story and have it not be a mech story mm mm-hmm. Hmm. Like, I'm thinking about, and I mean, I'm not particularly familiar with the Star Wars extended universe, so maybe there are, like, some stories that get very up close and personal with some of those robots, but I've heard the argument that some of those very large, like, Walker tank-type robots are are mechs, and I wouldn't necessarily Hmm. consider Star Wars a mech story, but perhaps there's the opportunity to tell mech stories within the Star Wars universe.
0: Mm -hmm. Or, like, the... um... Isn't the doesn't the alien sequel have like doesn't it end with Ripley like fighting the alien um in a in a big mech suit? That is also yeah, I would say
1: probably it's like not an him. open kind of frame suit, but yeah. I've not
2: seen um aliens. How how big is the suit? Because i there a size people, requirement. No, well, people say that Iron Man's suit is not is not a mech suit, is an argument I've heard. So I'm interested, like if the robot has to be a certain
1: size, like...
0: I think the one in Aliens is scaled, like, it's only a little bit bigger than her. Like, it's a yeah, fairly that's small... Right.
1: That's right. It's almost like if i uh, um, I'm trying to think. Are, they're not, like... Are they called forklifts? Those little tiny cars that you could drive and pick up a big yeah,
0: yeah, forklifts. box
1: with? It's kind of like if that were a suit, is what I kind of think of it as. Like I love that. Huge. Um... yeah, I think that's an interesting distinction. And I do think there's an aspect of like mech stories I'm really interested in when it comes to them as, uh, you you know, for lack of a better phrase, giant robots as like, uh, these, I, I like to engage with the topic of mechs, um, on a level of disability as well. And thinking of them as like giant mobility aids, um, I think is, Something I'm interested in, um, but I—I I mean, you could argue that that's true of an Iron Man suit. So I don't—I don't know that the distinction is clear to me. Um, I don't know that I would argue hard for for either <laughs> <laughs> for either take. But when I think of a mech story, I am often thinking of like uh, smaller sentient being pilots, very large robot. tends to be what i'm imagining
0: yeah Um, well and i guess there's an element too of like to distinguish it from say a forklift of like the thing that you're piloting has to be well i don't know but i feel like there needs to be a distinction between like driving a vehicle and like Mm -hmm. being inside some kind of body shaped other thing so I don't know if that's anything. Yeah. Honestly,
2: the, Lance, the mechs and Lancer are not particularly body shaped.
0: Mm, that's that is true. That is correct. But I yeah, I guess I, I guess like that's a thing I'm curious about as a person who is like admittedly not super well versed in this genre of like storytelling is like what is the distinction between a mech and a vehicle? How do you draw the line there?
1: So I, I think this connects a little bit with what I think of when I think of a mech story as well which is i think so often even if we're within a universe where you know giant robots are used to do other tasks um so often stories are about war and conflict on a large scale um and i think because of that that's often how i how, how i think of mechs as something different than a vehicle although you could say like a tank is about large scale You know, violence and war. So I don't know that that's even a useful distinction. But I think there's an aspect of this idea of um, I want to say an individual using this huge equipment to um, be a weapon. Uh, but I guess it's not even always an individual if we look at something like Pacific Rim. I don't know. It's an interesting question. Like, what is the difference between a mech and a vehicle? Because I, I think I like to think of mechs as more than just machines, but I think they're often used as just machines, right?
2: There's there's like a, I think, a desire for a gesture at like connection to embodiment that is, and maybe that's also where the issue with the Iron Man suit comes in although though it seems like depending on the iteration maybe there are components of piloting that it's like more you are more connected to the construct of the mech than you are to a vehicle in some instances of mechs, but less connected than if you are like wearing power armor, perhaps. Um and maybe like I don't even know if I would stand by that, but that feels true of a lot of mech narratives.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, th- I'm I'm thinking about, Britt, you thinking of them as mobility aids and that I feel like, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like a lot of people understand their mobility aids to be like extensions of themselves or extensions of their bodies in a way that like, I wouldn't consider armor or like a car that I'm driving to be an extension of my body.
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe, yeah. so
0: maybe that's, maybe that's helpful. Maybe that's part of it. Um, but I do feel like that leads in thinking about like mechs is related to embodiment leads us into like the next question that I wanted us to chat about, which is like, do you have personal connections to mech stories? Like what resonates for you about this kind of story, if anything? Um, or are there like specific examples of books, games, movies, whatever uh, in the genre that stick out to you?
1: I mean, I could just run down everything <laughs> I think people should check out if they're, <laughs> if they're interested. My stories, but to to not do that, maybe I'll be able to pepper them as we talk.
2: <laughs> What's your top three? I would love to know your top three. Top three.
1: Um, if we're looking across mediums, I would say um, I would say Heaven will be mine, which is a game by uh, I think the two studios are uh, Pillow Fight and uh, Worst Girl Games. Um, the writer is ABB and the art is done by Mia Schwartz. And it's a game about three, I mean, three mech pilots who are in different factions um, in this kind of alternate version of our world after the Cold War. And it's incredible. It it functions like a visual novel, but um, it's very, I don't know, it feels like uh, the the design feels like you were actually in a cockpit. like engaging with like comms and stuff. It's incredible. It's it's a really great game. Um and then I think Friends at the Table as an actual play podcast is doing some of the just some incredible things uh when it comes to mech stories. And to just like storytelling in general they hit on a lot of the things i enjoy in sci-fi storytelling as well which is like bureaucracy and um how do we build a better world when we have so many different ideas of what that is um uh body horror you know all those things and then i just finished war in the pocket um the gundam like OVA, and that was um that was a lot Um, and I would probably recommend that one right now. It may be because it's so fresh on my mind, but but that would probably be in my top three right now. Do you feel like
2: the way they engage with mechs is very different or do you find yourself drawn to like similar threads and themes of, of Mm mech storytelling throughout those three?
1: Um, I, I think they are similar in that they all engage with this idea of, um, you know, a uh, large scale and personal conflict and how they can affect each other in a lot of ways. Um, and I think they all have an aspect of bureaucracy in them. That's really fun um, for me. Um, and heaven will be mine and friends at the table absolutely engage in that idea of like how difficult it is to make the world better, which I think is really cool. Uh, I think, I don't know if that answers the question. Um, yeah, but I think, I think the things I'm excited by or interested in is, uh, when it comes to mech storytelling and when it comes to like mechs as a concept are also kind of different too. Um, just because there is, I don't know, especially in the older mech, um, stories, there's less, um. Overt engagement with the themes of bodies as they relate to like disability and to queerness and transness. Um, and these, other than War in the Pocket, Heaven Will Be Mine and Friends at the Table, absolutely overtly engage with those ideas, which is exciting.
2: I have so many follow up questions, um, but I guess I should answer your question Percy. Hey, you can do whatever um, you can do whatever you want. I can do whatever I want. Don't say that. We're going to start playing Lancer or something. <laughs> I'm unprepared. Um, <laughs> I've not done the homework. Yeah, where are your character sheets guys? We talked about this. No. <laughs> um I I would say that mech stories within like the schema of robots, cyborgs, mechanization, cyberspace as like metaphor for queerness or or other things or we're actually like not my my entry point and there are there are a few mech media that I I can think of that I really like but there are I I think like a thing that I find myself always looping back to is like What, what is this interest in still having so much of a connection to like your own body within this like much larger, more powerful body, um, as opposed to some other, some other options for that, that are either cyberization, right. Which is like fully incorporating that into yourself or cyberspace, which is like the total divestment from your, your body into another space and so to me like mech sits in that intermediate space um where for a long time I was like why would you still want to think about like your body as is in the context of this bigger body and now is like a much more interesting question to me I think Mm -hmm. yeah
0: that's a distinction that I hadn't really fully considered between because I like come to this general genre by way of like thinking a lot about transhumanism, which is like a very separate thing from like mech stories Mm -hmm. for sure.
1: Yeah. There's an aspect of, and maybe this is getting into like, I think, well, I think we're already kind of getting into like, how are they queer and trans? Um, And I, I think I'm really interested in what you're saying. Um, because there, there's this aspect of uh, having a being and a bigger being, right? That is a lot like the idea of the body as a vessel for the mind. Um, and like, you know, like the mech as a vessel for the pilot. And I feel like I, I don't believe in that dualism. Like, there, there's enough uh, medical study out there that shows our bodies and minds affect each other in many ways. Um, but I am as a trans person, especially often fighting against that feeling that I just live here, um, that like Mm -hmm. I'm just living in my body, like, um, and that it is separate. And, uh, I think just inherently because of like you're saying, because of the way they're set up, like mech stories are kind of engaging with that idea. And, and I think also they often engage with like, I don't know, the, a pushback on that idea in a sense, which is like going back to the idea of um like a lot of them focus on like pilot mech compatibility, which, you know, has its own issues if we're talking about like individual exceptionalism and stuff. But, um, you know, there's this idea that um the pilot and the mech need to be compatible. And I would love that feeling with my mind and my body. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> and now I'm just kind of, worrying into tangents i also i also think there's something interesting with the idea of mechs as like things that can be modified um and i think there are some shows or some media that engaged with that directly like um uh which like michael b jordan was like a co-producer on because he apparently is huge into anime which is uh great and (laughs) Right. Great for him. Um, and it has, uh, towards the end of its full first season, I think, I've, I think I've only seen the first season. Um, it leans into this idea of modifications for the mech. Like they're, uh tailored for each pilot, how the pilot wants the mech to present. So like there's one character who basically gets a bunny mech and like, you know like stuff like that um and that feels really tied to to that queerness and transness and this idea of the mech as a body in itself um that's a form of presentation that the pilot has yeah
0: and i feel like that's a lovely alternative to the narratives of like like the broader narratives of transness that i was raised understanding which is the like born in the wrong body idea Mm. as opposed to what i find to be truer for me which is just like your body is your body and you just need to like find ways to align with it differently which feels i don't know the idea of being able to like 3d print modifications for my body is like an (laughs) immense fantasy for me that sounds great i'll
2: take it (laughs) maybe not 3d print but you know what i mean i take 3d printing um (laughs) i also wanted to circle back right to what you said about like that that uh compatibility component Mm -hmm. because I feel like that maybe also goes back to our even earlier question about like, how is it different from driving a vehicle and like you need some level of vehicle proficiency and maybe a driver's license if you care about that sort of thing. But compatibility with like your car is like not as much as a thing as the compatibility going on in Pacific Rim. And that feels like it gives the mech more, more of an I- identity like a sense of personhood in a way and i so I, I guess maybe there are either two categories of mech stories or depending on who you ask like if it does not have some component of a thing beyond being like an inanimate object like is it still a mech like i think is an interesting question
0: yeah well because i feel like a, I feel like there are mech stories that and i don't know that this is like what they are but it's certainly the way that people talk about them where like mechs are just weapons and that's where Mm -hmm. it stops but I don't like that's not the resonant idea in the whole thing at least for for me um but yeah so I guess I don't know I don't that's not a very useful continuation of your thought but (laughs) but I do think it's interesting that so many mech stories are in the context of war and conflict when like the ideas that they're exploring are also in service of this very different other thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's tied to like how much they're about bodies. Right. Um, Because the war and the military need bodies. Like that's what, (laughs) that's what they need to function more than anything else. Whatever weapons are being used, they need bodies. And I don't know, it's something I think about a lot. Oh, this may be getting too, uh, (laughs) serious, (laughs) but but like, uh, you know, I think the military will ultimately get to a place where it will use any body at its disposal. And I think recently we've seen this in, you know, the U.S. providing access to gender affirming surgery and hormone therapy for trans soldiers, but not for all citizens. Right. And um, I think that's an aspect of that. I mean, I'm not going to give any judgment on whether that should be allowed or not, but, um, I have feelings about the military and I do think it is, says something that, um, just like with paying for college, this is something they're offering to trans soldiers, but not citizens. And I feel like that ties a lot in my mind to the idea of mechs as bodies and as, um, and as weapons and why I think they're so often used, I may be overthinking it. It might just have been like, what's a cool thing that we could have a weapon be big, big body, <laughs> big body. Maybe that's all that they were thinking, but I, th- I think, um, yeah, it really ties uh, ties to that. I think that's why so many mechs or mech stories are about war. Um, it's like that disposability of bodies in a sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you're onto something, all of the like, broader worlds of the mech stories that I can think of, not all of them, but a lot of them are like dystopias or like you bu- like this, like really heavily bureaucratic world where you're sort of coming up against all of these rigid and restrictive rules and all of these things. So it does sort of feel like in a lot of ways, the stories are commentaries on the world that we live in and live in and like the values of that world, et cetera. But
2: and also the value of mech pilots being derived from like their capacity to use the mech in a way that serves whoever whatever organization or cause that like the mech belongs to mm-hmm. and sort of the disposability if there's there's that loss of, of capacity
0: which like for me there's something kind of lovely about that like something about trans people being drawn to this kind of story feels kind of lovely and subversive in that way because it is also just like oh here's this like thing that I can change infinitely. And here is this way of like relating to embodiment that is different than what I am told that I have to do. Um, that's the thing about that is really kind of nice.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think most people who try to tell trans stories who aren't trans do really bad jobs of it. And so I think often we find things that feel more true to our I mean, I can only speak for me, but I I often find things that feel more true to my experience in stories that aren't uh, explicitly that or in genres that didn't start explicitly um, within, uh, I don't know, representation of trans identity.
2: Definitely, Yeah,
0: like I am coming out publicly as like not really a science fiction trans. I'm very much like a fantasy, shape-shifting, magic, Mm. uh, werewolves and Frankensteins kind of trans... Like, that is where most of my resonances and like touchstones were. But yeah, I think it's a similar thing of just like, oh, here is like a completely other world with its own problems that I can navigate and think through because they are maybe related to this world, but like I can deal with that on its own terms. And also, like, big robots are cool. (laughs) That is a part of it.
1: Every time we say that, I think of the the meme that's like the the robot shooting like a a missile and the person who's like wow cool robot it's like war is bad
0: Uh, it is but like uh, laser
1: swords are are cool cool. (laughs) my like
0: robot
2: my robot origin story was like as a child in 2003 i can't remember when the mars rovers happened but i was very into the mars rovers and like that was definitely a scam by nasa to make everybody super robot sympathetic and it worked on me and i'm fine with that
1: (laughs) oh i love it i love it
0: that's very good
1: is that was that the what was the one that sent the really heartbreaking message back before it was going to stop running
2: it might have been opportunity it was either opportunity opportunity or curiosity, but both such cute names. <laughs> yeah, yep. I the first one was Spirit. I had a bearded dragon lizard named Spirit because I had imprinted on this Mars River. Extremely cool and normal. That's so good. <laughs> People would be like I the horse it. movie and I would get so angry.
0: <laughs>
2: See, I really liked the horse
0: movie. <laughs> um yeah. I don't know if either of y'all have any other thoughts on the ways in which these stories can be queer or trans or related to like any of the other things that we've been talking about.
2: I do. I do think there is sometimes like, like, like I don't know if engagement with like something that is an extension of yourself is always like inherently queer or trans and like a way that maybe sometimes we want it to be. So I, I'm like curious and like, A more complex version of that. I'm thinking of that one um, article that was about like the queering of drone warfare, like the ways that drones are queer. And that feels like very bad um, in some way. Like, I, I don't know that 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 distance is always like queer. And I think that Like, mecca is science fiction, but also... Science fiction
0: isn't necessarily doing good work all the time.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So there are definitely probably instances of mech story and any, any like, um, weapon or like mechanical body extension where that is, is used for violence. I think that maybe is like worthy of more interrogation.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Not to bring this into like an academic space, but only because I've been reading about it literally today. I've been doing I'm reading about this concept called homo nationalism, which is basically the way that like queer people are assimilated into like nationalist ideologies through like what Brett, you were talking about with the military offering like gender affirming surgery to trans soldiers in the sense that like, yeah, it's just that like the mechanism by which of publishing articles about how gay drones are can like trick us into feeling seen or understood by things that are actually seeking to exploit us. And that can be less than great. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, Disney is a (laughs) relevant, uh, mention right now. I feel like Disney has been fighting that hard fight on. If you don't watch our movies with diverse casts, you are a bad person and then funding, (laughs) Everyone who's like working on the don't say gay bill.
0: Yeah. It, I don't have anything to say about it other than like it sucks. It's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think it's true that it is good to be careful about what we call like queer or trans separate from like things that you might personally identify with in part because like, yeah, that is also a way that people make war and <laughs> violence and <laughs> state control appealing. But on that that little bit of a downer of a note, um, I don't know, I guess I'm curious if there are other kinds of narratives that you feel a strong connection to in terms of like thinking about gender or embodiment. Yeah. Or if there are specific examples of things that feel like touchstones to you in that way. Um,
2: I don't know if there are things outside of like mech stories. I could go on about this for (laughs) for too long. Um, Yeah, I, I mentioned it a little bit, but like cyberpunk is a big one for me, cyberspace, Particularly, which is disembodiment, not not embodiment, but that like actually your your physical form becomes irrelevant in this extended virtual space. There's a a line in *Neuromancer* by William Gibson um, about when Case can Case, who is the protagonist, can no longer access cyberspace that he fell into a prison of his own flesh, um, which is a fascinating. Like And this book was written in the in the 1980s in cases not written as a trans person. To my knowledge, maybe someday William Gibson and I will meet and he will tell me otherwise, but I doubt that's the case. I, I think in a lot of um, cyberspace and cyberpunk stories, there is this like revulsion towards one's physical form or like the limits of physical form in a way that feels very trans to me. Um, and then Cyborgs and cyberization is an easy one that feels like it's maybe its own podcast episode.
0: <laughs> you and I will have a separate episode and talk about Donna Haraway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I actually didn't know um, about the um, Cyborg Manifesto until you dropped that in there and I j- spent a lot of time just reading kind of breakdowns of it
0: <laughs> it's a it's a great essay it's very there are interesting like, yeah there are like valid critiques of it but it is a very good essay yeah
1: yeah i do i agree i feel like cyborg and could be its own its own podcast I, especially as it relates which we haven't like dove into here but um especially as it relates to disability as well because mm-hmm. um there's so many people who now would identify as cyborgs and many of them are disabled. And I think there's some really interesting and scary um conversations around what it means to be a cyborg when companies control so much of technology. <laughs> um and I think that's a really interesting um yeah, just an interesting conversation. I'm also I'm really interested in the idea of cyberspace as like this um connective feeling to how often i hear um people say like um and i have said like i wish i could just be a mist or or th- mm-hmm. th- feelings like that um and i feel like that's a really i had never thought about the mist talk is actually kind of being somewhat similar reflective of the cyberspace kind of concept um but i think it kind of is in an interesting way this feeling of disembodiment yeah do you have any specific Um, Outside of the the book you already mentioned, do you have any other um, cyberspace or cyborg um, suggestions if I were going to go, you know, check out some media?
2: (laughs) Um, There is a great, I believe it was published in 1990 novel, but very pulpy, like put out by a small publishing house, I believe, um, novel called Trouble and Her Friends by Melissa Scott. Which mm-hmm. is a uh, lesbian cyberspace caper where a hacker named Trouble finds out that her identity was stolen by someone and goes on a road trip with her ex girlfriend to figure out what happened. Um, oh my God. And I think the imagination of, sci- like it, it is later in cyberpunk, um, as sort of like a literary era but I think what it it captures like in a really interesting way is like community online and offline um Mm. Trouble is like one of the first sci-fi protagonists I think that had like a community of queer friends as opposed to being like I am the solitary solitary gay person in this book inexplicably I only know straight people (laughs) um and that extends to to digital space like she has queer friends in digital space that she has these relationships with um, in these like various forms and like identity and possession of identity is very important. Um, I also think a lot of it goes to taste. Like I, hmm, I'm trying to think like in relation to the media that you really connected with. I'll also say like a lot of cyberpunk is bad (laughs) Um, like it doesn't, it doesn't do what it intends to. And a lot of it is very individualist in a way that I think is, is precisely not what I look for, um, in science fiction. Uh, Ghost in the Shell, I think is really, um, and, uh, well, very well known, but like super interesting example. And then it's also like, are you more interested in like the cyberspace part of it or also, or like the anxiety around information technology, like moment of cyberpunk, which feels like its own thing that maybe ties more into the mech discussion because like in the eighties, we all thought we were going to have microchips in our heads. Um, and that was, and now we have Google ins- instead, and there are aspects of that, like very embodied fear and, and anxiety, um, that feel related to to Mecca in some ways,
1: yeah that's it's really interesting i I never thought about um the importance of the um, like of the embodiment of that anxiety that it is um so yeah, I think that was a really great way to put it. I mean, both now is the answer i've I've definitely been more interested in I think stories about bodies and being mm-hmm. within bodies and living with that um recently, but like. I just never really engaged with cyberspace as a theme in media, um, despite knowing generally that it was something out there and it's something that I'm kind of now interested in. Yeah. So, well, especially after the, the kind of quote or paraphrase that you gave from uh, the idea of being trapped in his own flesh, just very like John Dunn, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like
2: John <laughs> Donne people are always talking about their flesh prisons and little do they know William Gibson said at first <laughs> Oh no! totally unrelated
0: <laughs> uh, yeah I don't know I can relate to this from like uh, from a very different um like I recently read Susan Stryker's um my words to Victor Frankenstein
1: yes which is
0: like I think that I have so many complicated feelings about like it is such a <laughs> it's such a complicated thing but I do think like In some ways I find that I am and I find that a lot of other trans people that I know are drawn to the idea of like monstrosity as like a a, which is I think in some ways similar to the sort of vibe of like being a cyborg or being sort of in some way connected to a to a robotic being but yeah I think that's very much my entry point to the way that I understand a lot of like my relation to gender is like monsters and monstrosity, particularly werewolves are like my, <laughs> my specific entry point. But yeah, I don't know. It's also striking me from this and from our previous conversation that like, there are just a lot of things that are popular resonances for queer insurance trans people that are like on their, on their face, like valued badly <laughs> or just like not great things. And I don't know what that says, but <laughs>
1: Well, I think I do think there's a difference between pieces that are valued badly and pieces that have some some moral complications to to dig into, um, because I think often some things are um, valued badly because we as a culture of, I don't know, moved away from media literacy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> like, that's probably true. That's, well, no, that's not probably true. That actually, that is true. <laughs> um. um
1: I love that you said werewolves because I did write down Ginger Snaps as one of, <laughs> one of the movies that I would say is a specific example of something that sticks out to me. And I, I would say body horror in general is something that, similarly to monstrosity, I think I've felt really connected to. Um, and I think that's a very complicated feeling. Kind of like what you were saying about reading the the essay is like, there's a, a real push and pull between the feeling of, um, do I see myself as a monster? Or do other people see me as one? And does it matter? And when does it matter? It does like, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I think Ginger Snaps, like, I don't know. There's a great movie coming out that y'all should watch. Um, if you haven't had a chance to called, we're all going to the world's fair. Um, that'll be, I think on HBO max in April. Um, I, <laughs> Apparently it's biggest fan and talking about it everywhere. Um that is actually by um a trans person and um is is not a story about a trans person, but very much deals with those ideas of um changing body um and changing self in in kind of scary ways and not being able to control it. Um and also ties it to internet culture from when I was growing up, um, which is really fun and exciting. Um, Like it has a lot of creepy pasta vibes. It has a lot of that, like a stranger asking me for my age sex location in some kind of weird chat room that my parents don't know I'm on like that that kind (laughs) of vibe. Um, It's just, it's, it's really, um, It's really incredible. And actually the director partnered with, um, some YouTube like creators to make some really interesting, um, like YouTube videos that are in the piece, um, that are like canonically, um, uploaded videos of like really wild things happening, basically trying to think of other body horror examples, I I guess, like under the skin kind of ties to it in a sense, but I think for me that more feels tied to the idea Of like learning how to be um well for under the skin learning how to be a a human woman (laughs) specifically for for that movie and like watching other people who you know seem to be women and trying to like figure out what your version of that is and what will pass as human as well and um, feeling distant um, from other people who are using these similar trappings as you yeah, I could. Uh, I mean, Annihilation as a book series, the the um, Area mm. X book series. I feel very tied to wildly enough. Um, <laughs> uh, the Matrix. Who doesn't uh i'm sure many people i'm sure many people but i feel very basic saying the matrix um i mean
0: i only watched it for the first time like a year ago and i was like wow where has this been (laughs) where has this been all my life and also how did anybody watch this and not be like wow a trans person made this
1: yes yes that's how i felt have you have you seen bound
0: no, you've told me many times to watch it and it's still happy. No, that was not a that was a judgment of not me and to not. Shame of you. You. <laughs> I'm
1: not shaming you, I promise. No. I understand.
0: No, it's all good. Um, I don't know. I yeah. I guess it is basic to say The Matrix, but also I've never seen anything else that captures the feeling of like, oh, now that I know this thing about myself and the world around me, I cannot see anything the same way, like I am, I am fundamental, Like the way that I understand the world has changed fundamentally. And like, I've never seen anything that yeah. captures that feeling better.
1: Mm-hmm. Also cyberspace. I didn't even think about that. Oh it's goodness. also a, yeah. a piece that's in. Yeah.
2: I mean, I also think the matrix was partly so big because that was like the moment when cinema like started cinema technology started to get good enough to like represent cyberspace in a way that is not massively cheesy. Um, but like there are there were a lot of like B-movie cyberspace type movie, not, not with the exact plot of the Matrix, but of like varying like the world is not as we know it, like this world that we have like outside of this is like bad or like inferior to like what we can access here that we're just like didn't click in the same way. I think in partly for like, available technology reasons. There's also this wonderfully dreadful adaptation of um, a William Gibson short story, um, Johnny Mnemonic, that was made into a film um, that also, I believe, stars Keanu Reeves um, that did terribly, that came out just before The Matrix, I think. Not that much. So Johnny, Johnny Mnemonic came out the short story was published in 1980. The film came out in 1995. Um, the Matrix came out in 1999. So, like, for whatever reason, that four-year difference was enormous. But in in um, Johnny Mnemonic, uh, Keanu Reeves is this character who has a brain implant plant that stores information, which feels like it sort of gets back to, like, that difference of is that is that thing like internalized in some way or actually are we like looking out for that, that kind of access?
0: Yeah. This is an excellent list of things that I need to watch and consume. (laughs) Um,
1: I, I want to, can I say like two other things Uh, on the topic of movies with, under this? Please Um, do. Okay. (laughs) I first want to read my favorite tweet of all time, um, because I think you'll appreciate it. It's from, um, Alyssa Heflin. It's, uh, less movies about transness as universal, more movies about transness as impenetrable. And I think the the topics we have covered, I think, very much go into that realm uh, when it comes to thinking about transness in that way. And I also just want to say like, a lot of my knowledge and interest in film, um, and specifically in films that give a feeling of transness despite not overtly being about them, um, comes from following really incredible trans critics like Willow, Caitlin McClay, and Caden Gardner. And I would highly recommend um, following their writing and checking out what they recommend as well, um, because they're all more knowledgeable than I am. But yeah, I feel like I would be remiss not to name them as, like, the reason I watched Ginger Snaps, for example. Um, So, yeah. Um,
0: The last thing that I wanted us to sort of chat about is, like, we've been talking a lot about books and and movies. Um, But since we're talking about Lancer here, I'm curious about what you think of the difference between looking at these themes in books and movies versus experiencing them in like a role-playing game and what that, where that difference lies in terms of like, yeah, how we relate to these stories.
1: Uh, I guess for me, the, the easiest or the most simple answer that I think covers the most variety of (laughs) role-playing games is just that it can be more personal, um, to you as a player. Um, like content made by someone else is never going to completely cover, um, your experience—it's definitely not going to cover everybody's experience. So, being able to play and experiment with the topics and the questions and the inside musings that we have as people through games is—I um, don't know—it's useful. It's—it is different. I think. Um, I think it's easier to kind of stumble over new. I don't know, ideas of being, I guess, um, through play. And I think play gives a lot of room for, um, it not feeling like so much pressure, um, as well. I think play is really important in that way. Um, while still, you know, having room for complexity and, um, yeah. So I think that's my like simple answer <laughs> that I think covers most games. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: I absolutely agree with all of that. um, And then I I think on a more mechanical level, I think in a a mech game, there's often an interesting, like, doubling of choice because a lot of that, like, option to, like, as you said, Brett, like, there's the opportunity to play with things that are, like, maybe you exploring self-conceptualization through character. But then you are also playing a character who is in some ways, exploring their self-conceptualization con- through mm-hmm. their mech. Um, and it's it's funny, um, I've been thinking about this since you mentioned the scene in Genlock, but I'm in a Lancer campaign where we've just gone up to license level two, which is where you get to get your customized mechs. And there, of course, was a scene where all of our, our characters were picking mechs that like aligned with how like they wanted to represent themselves or like engage with this piece of technology or extension of self, however you want to think of Mecca, like in a more customized, um, I guess, way with with more with more agency of choice, um, and that feels very inherent to play in that way, where like both that doubling of of um, you are playing a character who is then also making these choices and that's an extension of the exploration for you. But also I think, and I I guess this, this goes to like games more broadly, like the, and I have mixed feelings about like, Oh, play is a way for people to like explore things that maybe they couldn't otherwise understand. I think that's sometimes deployed in ways that are negative, but certainly thinking about like the choices that you're, character is making as a mecha pilot pilot almost certainly doing kinds of of violence feels like another angle of like some of the criticisms that are that are levied at like games that prioritize violence as the only mode of interaction in a really interesting way.
0: Yeah well that's what I really like about Lancer is that there are so many different victory conditions available for when you're engaging with mechs. Like it could be it could be like go and kill everybody on the other side. But I think it frequently isn't. And that feels I don't want to say utopian because that's not really I think what it's doing, but like it, does, it feels more hopeful than like a mech story in which, you know, like you are serving a terrible military or a terrible bureaucracy and like your um, embodiment is being co-opted by uh, these things like that feel it feels just somehow like better um I've had a better word for it but it just feels better <laughs> um
2: yeah I go back and forth on whether Lancer pushes back on on that effectively like am I just in the private space military rather than in like the American military like I think that's actually what's maybe going on um
0: yeah is this a, just a more progressive military
2: <laughs> industrial <yeah>. complex <laughs> But I, I agree that the explication of, like, nonviolent winning conditions is actually, does actually feel um, a lot better and absent from a lot of games.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you both for joining me for this conversation. This is really, really fun.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was great. I'm glad we all got to chat.
2: Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you both. Dungeons and
0: Drama Nerds is produced by Todd Brian Backus, Percival Hornack, and Nicholas Orvis, and is mixed and edited by Anthony Sertel-Dean. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nerds. Check out cast bios on our website, dungeonsanddramanerds.com. Leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, and tune in next week for another episode of Dungeons and Drama Nerds.